0: Bibles, if you would, to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Um, Last week we started talking about uh, living a balanced Christian life, and in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul gives us four steps that we can incorporate into our lives that will help us do that. The first step that we talked about last week was that we simply just need to believe the truth. And um, we we saw that uh, he gives us salvation through the truth. He changes us through the truth. He calls us and he shares his glory with us. And one of the misunderstandings about balance is many people believe that in order to have balance, you have to compromise what you believe. And that's not true. You can have balance and not compromise. Paul is a perfect example. Paul was very balanced in his life. And he did not compromise the, the 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 truth of the word of God. First uh, Corinthians chapter nine, verses nineteen to twenty three says, <clears throat> and we read this last week, for for though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more, and unto the Jews <clears throat> I became a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. And un, and to them that were under the law as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law, to them that are without the law, as without law, being uh, not without the the law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without the law. To the weak became I weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all uh, all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be a partaker thereof with you. So Paul Paul very clearly describes his life as being one of balance too. You know, uh, you know, basically what he's saying here is you need to be all things to all men. And <clears throat> the way he's doing that is by adjusting his life but never compromising on, tr- on truth. This morning, we're going to go to point number two, Uh, living a a balanced Christian, uh, a balanced life. Point number two, guard the truth. Guard the truth. Let's start reading in verse 13. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren beloved of the lord because god hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth whereunto he called you by the gospel to obtain uh, to the obtaining of the glory of our lord jesus christ therefore brethren stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught whether by word or by our epistle guard the truth guarding the truth is a is is an important we we see it here in verse verse 15 let's read verse 15 It says therefore brethren stand fast and hold the traditions which you have uh, been taught whether by true by by word or by epistle i want to start this morning by asking a just a simple question Why should I believe the Bible? Why should I believe the Bible? I mean there's a lot of there's a lot of theory out there in the world today. There's a lot of there's a lot of books out there that have been been written by men that make a lot of sense. But why should I put my faith and trust in this book? The Bible clearly makes some incredible claims, does it not? The Bible, uh, you know, the, I, I just wrote down four just off the top of my head. Uh, the first one is, uh, the Bible claims that God created the universe. That's a big claim. The, the Bible claims that that God created man out of the dust of the earth that God reigns supreme over his creation, but yet he gives men free will to do as they wish. The Bible also claims to know the fate of mankind. These are some serious, and and I could have went on and on and on. I mean, I could have preached a whole sermon just on that. But there are many, many claims that the Bible makes. Why do we believe this book? <clears throat> now, if these claims are true, then the Bible should be the most important book on the face of this earth. Am I right? I mean, logic says that if the Bible, just based on those four claims that I, that I mentioned just a moment ago, based on those four claims, if those claims are are true and accurate, and this book is the word of God, just on those four things, then this book should be the most important book on the face of the earth. This book holds the answers To questions that men have been asking and arguing about for centuries. I wrote down four of the most basic questions that that men have been arguing and asking for centuries. The first one is where did I come from? Now, I don't know if the children down in junior church sing it, but I I heard a children's song one time, and the, the, the the thrust of it is I didn't come from a monkey. I mean, I find, it, I find it offensive that scientists say that I came from monkey. I didn't come from a monkey. But the Bible tells us where we came from. Another question is, why am I here? The answer to that question is in this book. How am I supposed to live my life? It's right here. And what happens to me when I die? That's a big question that people have been fighting over since the creation of man. Because of the important the, the potential importance of the Bible, it demands that every person at least consider the truths of this book yet they don't why is that now i want you to think about this because if i lose you here then you might as well just get up and walk out because this is this is the pivotal pivotal thing here why if the, if the word of God is so potentially important, why do men scoff at the book? It's because we have an enemy. So this morning, point A, we're going to talk about the enemy. Consider the enemy. We have an enemy. If you were the enemy, and you wanted to keep someone from getting saved, wouldn't you do everything in your power to question the authority of this book in their lives? Wouldn't you? Absolutely. So what would you do? You would you would spread as many lies about this book as you could. One of the most popular lies about this book, and we'll get there in a minute. Oh, this book is a, just a bunch of stories that were handed down from campfire to campfire to campfire and blah, 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 blah. Well, no, that's garbage. And we'll, like I said, we'll get there in a minute. But if you were the enemy, it would not if you wanted to keep somebody from getting saved, wouldn't you discredit this, this book as much as possible in their minds? If you were the enemy and you wanted to keep a, a somebody who was saved, keep them from growing, wouldn't you do the same thing? You would discredit this book so they wouldn't read it and grow? I want to read something to you. And I think this is very revealing. Three quarters of Christians say, They believe the Bible is the Word of God. Now now let me ask you a question. Does that sound like a a good number to you? How can you claim to be a Christian? That That means one out of every four people that claim to be Christians say they don't believe the book. That's, that, to me, is an alarming number. But it gets worse. Four in ten, 42% of quote-unquote Christians say reading their Bible or other religious material is, essential, is an essential part of being uh, what a Christian is supposed to be. Four out of ten Christians believe that reading their Bible will make them a better Christian. Again, that is a scary number. Why is it? Because we have an enemy. It's called Satan. And Satan is doing all that he can. I'm telling you, the days are short. If if you don't understand that the Lord is coming soon, then I'm here to tell you, He's coming soon. I I expect it any day now. There was a time in my life I, I did not believe I would see the return of the Lord in, 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 uh, the, the rapture in my lifetime. I don't believe that anymore. I believe the rapture could happen anytime. Satan knows it too. And he's going to do everything he can to keep you from reading this book because it is this book that's going to change your life. It is not the philosophies of men. It is not uh, uh, cutesy stories that you read in books that are going to change your life. It's this book that's going to change your life. Satan has been attacking the authority of the word of God from the very beginning. It started in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the fruit of the garden. Is number one, what did he do? He got Eve to question what God said. And that's how God that's how Satan works. Is that really what God said? Is that really what God meant? And that he plants those seeds of doubt. And Christians today are swallowing the seeds. And they're not reading the book. They're not they're not allowing this book To change their lives. In John chapter 8, you can read it if you want. uh, But Satan is called the father of lies. God uses the truths of this book to change lives today. And that is why Satan will do all he can to get people saved and unsaved to question the authority of the truth. I want to give you a simple but very profound truth here. If there is truth, there has to be opposition. And we call it a lie. You can't think about this in a logical sense. You can't have a right unless you have a left. Is that right? Okay, you can't have, a, you can't have an east if there's not a west. Okay, that, that, that's just logic. Okay, and you can't have truth unless there's lie. And Satan is the father of lies. Amen. Our nature is to resist truth and believe lies. I can prove it to you. How many of you parents had to teach your children how to lie? Not one of you parents had to teach your children how to lie. But what did you have to do with truth? You had to pound it into their heads. Why? Because it's not natural for us. Because of the sin nature of men. Because of what happened in the Garden of Eden back thousands of years ago. We are bent toward, for, toward evil. We don't naturally come to good, good has to be taught evil our our children when we were you know we had two children and we, we we neither one of our children did we have to teach okay all right this is how we tell a lie then I'll do it they came by natural hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 for the word of god is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing of center of soul and spirit and to the joints and the marrow and as the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart that the word of god reaches into the hearts of men and can change lives satan accomplishes his best work through nominal believers those are the, the 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 people who like to come to church and do quote unquote their duty, and walk out the door and turn their back and never crack the book again until next Sunday. Second Timothy chapter three and verses one through five. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. Covetous, boast, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truthbreakers, false accusers, uh, incontinent, fierce, uh, despisers of those that are good, traitor, heady-minded, high, uh, heady, high-minded, uh, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, and underline this if you have if. It- having a form of godliness. They look good on the outside. They look good on the outside, but what's going on in the heart? Nothing. And that is the state of many Christians in our world today. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. They look good on the outside, but this book means nothing to them. That is 4 in 10 Christians today. Now, I'm a, I'm a believer in statistics. I love statistics. It helps me. It just My brain doesn't work too good. So numbers and statistics help me put things in perspective. So if those numbers are correct, then there, that means there are people in this room that fall into that category. And I hope today it stops and that this book becomes important. Now, I want to I go back to verse 15, and I want to talk about a word here that can oftentimes be misunderstood in our world today. Verse 15, it says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold fast to the traditions. The, the word traditions here is not referring to man-made religious ideas. Okay That is not what it is talking about. <clears throat> it is referring to the the word of God that had been passed down from Paul and the other the other apostles. Jesus rejects religion in Matthew chapter 23 verses 27 and 28. It says, "Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites!" He calls the religious crowd a bunch of hypocrites. He says, "For ye are like unto whited sepulchers." Which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are full of uh, <coughs> excuse me, dead men's bones, and are all uncleanness. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within, ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Jesus he, he did not like the religious crowd. Not too long ago, just within the last few days, somebody referred to me as being religious. Yeah. Yeah. And when they, whenever they find out I'm a pastor, they'll, they oh, you know, they watch what they say. Oh, you know, oh, I'm sorry. You're religious, I'm sorry. And and I say, and I and I, I almost always say something to the effect of, oh, I hope not, I hope not. Jesus didn't like religious people. I'm all about teaching relationship. That's what Grace Baptist Church should be about. Not about religion, but about relationship with an almighty God. Tradition, the word tradition here literally means handed down from one person to another. And think about this. The word of God was being written at this time. God was u- was using uh, in in Second Peter chapter one verse twenty one. It says, uh, "For prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were uh, moved by the Holy Ghost." God was using the apostles and other other people to to write the word of God. So when they were talking uh, here in uh, uh, to the church, the, the believers in Thessalonia, uh, they were they were still communicating the word of God. They were still in the process of writing it. They didn't have what what theologians called the completed canon or the completed Bible. They didn't have that yet, and the only way to communicate that was by tradition and handing it down, and letters, writing letters. <clears throat> the other, well, I, it's been it's been a couple years ago, but I I was having a conversation with a, a fellow pastor who pastors a a church that you would call uh, a, a mainline denomination church. Um, I won't tell you the church. I won't tell you the the denomination because it's not important. But we were talking and and somehow I don't remember. Uh, we got talking about theology, and, and, and I, I shared with him my viewpoint on, on a particular theology. And he shared with me his viewpoint. And we, you know, we friendly, friendly? No, that's not the right, kindly um, discussed the differences, which I, 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 I absolutely appreciated that we could have that conversation and not get ugly. Anyway, after a while, he he ended the conversation by saying this. He said he said to be perfectly honest, Rick. I hope you're right. He said, "But when this is this is where religion comes in." He said, "But my denomination teaches this, so that's what I have to teach." I wanted to, but I didn't because he knew better. But I wanted to say, well, what does the Bible teach? It doesn't matter what your denomination teaches. It's what the Word of God teaches. It's not about religion. It's about the Word. Number one, consider the enemy. Number two, and I've got to move quick here, stand fast. Look at verse 15 again. Therefore, brethren, stand fast. Now, <clears throat> immediately, first thing that comes into my my mind is the picture of a soldier standing his ground. And as I as I thought about this, I I thought about the Battle of Britain. Uh, <clears throat> if you know anything about history, um, the Battle of Britain was a kind of a turning point in in World War II. The invasion of of Normandy was was the turning point, but the invasion of Normandy would never have happened had the Battle of Britain not been won by the British. The British, from nine, uh, July of 1940 to June of 1941, the British RAF pushed back against the German air force or the Luftwaffe, and and they the British were overwhelmingly outnumbered and outgunned. But they held fast. They stood their ground. And for almost a year, the German onset was was just relentless. Absolutely relentless. But they didn't quit. And they were able to win the battle of what is now called the Battle of Britain but they did not win because the Briti- or because the Germans ran out of airplanes. They won because the Germans got tired of fighting, and the tr- history tells us that had the Germans kept fighting for just a little bit longer, they probably would have won. Because just pure attrition, the, the the British were running out of planes and pilots quickly. Stand fast. Remember, balance is not compromise. Stand standing fast involves us not compromising on our relationships, what we believe, our behaviors. Uh, it does not allow us uh, uh, <clears throat> the ability to uh, compromise excuse me <clears throat> our obedience to the word of god we have to stand fast what did what did god tell moses and the children of israel in deuteronomy chapter 11 verse 22 and 23 it says for ye shall diligently keep all these commandments which i command you to do them to love the lord thy god to walk in all his ways and to cleave unto him, then will the Lord drive out all the nations from before you, and ye shall stand, uh, and ye shall possess greater nations and mightier than yourselves. God told Joshua basically the same thing in Joshua chapter 22 and verse 5. But take diligent heed to do the commandments of the law which Moses thy servant of the Lord charge you to love the Lord your God and to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and to cleave unto him and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. What was Joshua's reply? Joshua chapter 24, verse 14 and 15. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in uh, Egypt and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the God which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the God gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua made his choice to serve the Lord, to stand and to stand fast. It's one thing to stand and it's another thing to stand fast. Letter C. The word "hold," and this is a precious, precious word. Verse fifteen again. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions. Hold. This word "hold" is is kind of it, 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 it. There's two two areas that this that this word kind of encompasses. The first one is to 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 hold to hold it firm, to to grab hold of it, uh, to diligently uh, and thoughtfully hold on to something, not just randomly pick it up and hold on to it, but to purposely pick it up and and to to hold it diligently. You know, one of the things that that I'm finding as I get older, (laughs) when I was younger, you know, I would pick stuff up and not really even think about it. Um, but the older you get, um, those of you that are older know what I'm talking about. Uh, you, you have to be a little bit more diligent about the way you pick things up. (laughs) Am I right? (laughs) Okay. That's kind of what this word is talking about. Just not, not randomly carelessly picking something up, but to, to do it in such a way you, you, you do it with purpose. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 and 2 says, "Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you that the gospel which I preach unto you, uh, which ye also have received, and wherein ye stand, by which ye also are saved, if ye keep in memory uh, what is preached unto you, unless ye have uh, believed in vain." Paul wanted the Corinthian believers here in 1 in Corinthians chapter 15 to examine their hearts and to determine why are you standing? Why are you clinging to the word of God? If their commitment to Christ was temporary, then their purpose would be in vain. Why? Why do we hold these truths? Why do we do these things? Are they? Is is it something that's temporary, or do we cling to these truths because it 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 is a permanent thing that can change our lives? So when we hold to the Word of God, we want to do it in such a way we do it with purpose. Hebrews chapter three verses five and six, and Moses um, uh, verily was uh, uh, was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony to those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoice of the hope firm unto the end. Hold fast unto the end. So the first area that this word encompasses is something that's diligent and thoughtful and the other, the other idea is that it is to be held in a personal sense. We are to hold the word of God so that it changes our lives. The truth is the Bible will never impact us if we don't allow it to impact us. This book I could, I could sleep on this book and it's not going to change my life. But if I read it and, and allow it to change my life, it can do miraculous things. Now let me ask you a question. Can a person read this book from cover to cover 50 times, and it not changed their lives. Absolutely. So the point here of holding it is not only do we pick it up with a, with a diligence and a, and a purpose in mind, but that we do it in such a way that we accept it and we, we allow it into our lives so that it can change us. When we read it, when we meditate on it, and we make this book our own, it will change our lives. Now, I'm almost done. Letter D there's a caution. There is a caution. there are a couple of red flags that popped up when I was studying this and I thought, well, wait a minute. The first one is, never confuse. Now, now please get this because this is important. Never confuse religious tradition and this book. Okay? Okay? say but wait a minute shouldn't religious uh, 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 r- religious tradition come from this book it should but religious tradition oftentimes is the invention of men it is the it is the thing i was talking about with my friend that day it is the thing that oftentimes, now, I, now I, I realize that most of you have never been in a, or had any contact with uh, theologians that are arguing, but I, I do a lot of reading and, and so on and so forth. And, and I can say this, the majority of the time when theologians argue, it's not over this book. It's over opinion and it's over denominational traditions. This book is clear and it is this book, it is the the truths of this book that can change our lives, not the religious traditions of men. Satan has done an incredible job of blurring the line between biblical truth and traditions of men. And we need to be very careful, very careful that we do not blur that line. It's the this book that changes our lives the second red flag and this is something that I think can be anyway never smother truth. I didn't know how else to say it. never smother truth. A moment ago I talked about that the one of the elements of, of truth is the fact that we need to, to hold it. And we need to make it our own and oftentimes the tendency is to grab it and to smother it and not share it and that is not the point. see the reality is when we when we make it our own and we and we hold it fast and we 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 uh, meditate on it and we We read it and we do all these things. What should we want to do? We should want to share it. In Luke chapter 5 is a parable that Jesus gave and I I, I felt like it was uh, appropriate to to share this this warning or this caution of smothering. Uh, Luke chapter 8 verses 5 to 11, it says, A sower went out to sow his seed and he was... And as he sowed, some uh, fell by the wayside and was trodden down. And the fowls of the air devoured it. And some fell upon the rock. And some also, or some was soon as it uh, was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns. And the thorns sprang up with it. And choked it, and other fell on good ground, and sprang up, and bare fruit and hundredfold. And when he had said these things he cried. Now now let's stop right there. You know, sometimes we we we, we miss this 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 emotion of Christ. What well let me let me let me finish reading and then we'll come back. Um, and uh, <clears throat> he that hath an ear let him hear. And his disciples asked him saying, "What might this parable be?" And he said and he said, "Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables, that seeing they may not see, they and hearing they may not they might not understand now this parable now this parable is this the seed is the word of god but jesus very clearly identifies this parable as being the seed being represented by the by the by the word of god and as this word of God goes out, it'll, it'll fall on different kind of ground. And sometimes it'll spring up and then wither away. Sometimes it'll be trodden underfoot. And, and what is the ground representative of? If, if the word of God, if the seed is a, is a picture of the word of God, then what is the ground a picture of? The, the, the hearts of men and the word of god is to be spread out it is not to be kept it is not to be smothered but let's go back to jesus's emotion here when he cried he, after he said hey look the word of god is going to be spread out and it's going to fall on different kinds of hearts and it's going to fall on the stony hearts and the and the, the you know and he gave all these different examples then what does jesus do He cries. Why? Because he's brokenhearted. Because there are going to be many people that will hear the word of God, that will that will receive the seed, so to speak, and will reject it. And Jesus cried. And our jobs as, as Christians is to be the sower. It is to throw the seed. It is not our job to judge the hearts of men. So as we hold fast and stand firm on the word of God, understand we have an enemy that out there that is trying to do everything he can to to cast lies so that when the seed is thrown into the hearts of men, that it'll fall on stony ground. Satan wants to do everything he can to undermine the authority of this book. And Jesus, after sharing the parable, cried. Because he knew the fate of men that won't believe. That's a scary thing. Our job is to read it, meditate on it, hold it, love it, make it our own, but share it out. Throw the seed out. Cast it out so that men all around us will hear the truths of the Word of God. Then it's their choice what they do with it. Number one, living a balanced life. Number one, believing the truth. Number two, guarding the truth. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work that you do in our lives. You are you are so good and patient with us. And Lord, I, I ask that as we conclude our service, that you would speak to our hearts and that you would help us to be more like you. Truly, truly, we are thankful for the Word of God, the truth and the power of the Word of God that can change lives. And I ask, dear God, as we look to you for guidance, and that you would help us to grow and increase our faith. We are truly thankful and grateful for all that you do. With every head bowed